This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my cohorts. That's right, they're not co-hosts this time, they're cohorts, Brian and Paul. Greetings. Hello. Well, it is good to be back. Happy 4th of July. We took some time away to relax. Also, two of our brightest and best show hosts designed and built a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yep, I just received the printout here, and apparently the answer to life, the universe, and everything is episode 42! That's (laughs) right! Spoilers! That's right, we're going to be talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide radio series. Oh, jeez. Brian, keep calm and don't panic. Paul, we're, uh, we're talking about a different Hitchhiker's. The book? The book's good, too. No, the video version, Paul. Oh, the Infocom video game? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Must be the TV series, then. (sighs) Nope. Then what in the Encyclopedia Galactica are we talking about? The 2005 version starring Martin Freeman and Most Def. Who? (laughs) You know. (laughs) That one guy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Alan Rickman and Zoe Deschanel and... You know, uh, the, 2005, Rockwell. the 2005 movie version, yeah. So we're starting with the ninth version of Hitchhiker's Guide? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it would make more sense to start at the beginning. Have we ever done anything that made sense? No, but now I need a pangalactic gargle blaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> if you missed our last episode way back in May, definitely go check that out when the gang and I talked about the Sonny Liston Walkman or the Sony Walkman. <laughs> Come on, that was funny, guys. <laughs> We're giving you a pity laugh right ah, now. Ah, come like. on. Sonny Liston wouldn't stand for that. <laughs> He'd knock your ass out. Um, <laughs> Christopher Walken, probably too. <laughs> you can find that in all of our past episodes at datingourselvespodcast.com, iTunes, Google Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. I found I find mine. mine. Oh, where did you find yours? I found mine in Paul's medicine cabinet. Really? That is a vast black hole of many things. Say, <laughs> so I found We're... mine in Paul's junk drawer, so... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I seem to all be at Paul's house for some reason. <laughs> That's weird. Why are they all there? I don't Paul, know. are you hoarding our episodes again? <laughs> yeah, it's right here next to the uh, Grail and um, <laughs> the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> Bigfoot is actually holding on to it. <laughs> He's upstairs. Oh, Okay. <laughs> We really appreciate all our listeners' support, and we'd like to share some kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. And if you leave us a five-star written review on iTunes, we would most def love to read it on air as a way to say thanks. (laughs) See what you did there. (laughs) Most def. This week's five-star review, it's from Kajukachu. It says, this turned me on, yes. And literally, <laughs> that is what it says. <laughs> Five well, words. <laughs> well, thank you, whatever your name is, because I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, five-star review. That is review. so insensitive. Come on, Adam. <laughs> Give it uh, a try. Okay, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Five-star reviews are always encouraged, and be sure to tell your friends about the Dating Ourselves podcast. If that's how you respond to all people that hit on you, maybe that's why you're still single. Oh, oh, dang. (laughs) Shots fired. Too deep there. That's what friends are for. (laughs) But anyway, let's get this started. This week, I'm going to be leading a discussion on, you guessed it, the 2005 movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was submitted by Jessica T. of Colchester, Vermont. Okay. So before we go too much further, I have to take us off rails again for one quick story that happened in our absence. (laughs) Oh. I was recently traveling for work. And uh, I was at a big conference, like, you know, 8,000 people big. Whew. And uh, it was at an outdoor amphitheater 
in California, and I won't go any further than that. I'll let you guess. But um, every day when we all got off the bus and huddled into the amphitheater, we had to go through security that was the equivalent of airport security. So as you're in this big single file line waiting to get to the metal detector and, you know, the TSA agent that wasn't loved as a child, uh, <laughs> there's this guy walking up and down the line that says, bags in your left hand, phone, belt, and watch in your right hand. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm waiting till the absolute last minute to take my belt off, and I'm slowly hiking my pants up as I get closer and closer to the line. Like, you know, worse than your granddad on a hot day fishing. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and I get up there, and I'm like fourth in line, and I take my belt off, and I'm holding my belt in one hand, my bag in the other, and I've got everything all ready to go, and they're like, place your things here and walk through the metal detector. And I'm holding onto my pants via the pocket, and I'm walking through the metal detector. And uh, the guy says, raise your arms above your head. And I do as I walk through it, and I'm like, okay, avoided catastrophe. And then uh, as I walk through it, it dings, and then he approaches me, and he says, keep your hands up. And I raise my arms higher, and my shorts fall to my feet. (laughs) So I immediately go to pick up my pants and fall over. Oh, and no. <laughs> as I'm sitting there in my whitey tighties in front of, you know, hundreds of people waiting in line, in a not I start here prone position. <laughs> I start hearing because uh, everybody has their phone in their right hand. I start hearing that noise we're all too familiar with the shutter oh, sound. No. Oh, no. Jeez. <laughs> At which point, security helps me up. They hand me my belt back. I don't even think they looked in my bag. I think they just pushed it through. And then a whole team of people guided me to the front of the line, where I was greeted by a representative who told me that any pictures posted on social media using their uh, hashtag would be reported. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And then I proceeded to the front of the line and went in. Nice. Well, that would explain why we didn't see any uh, scantily clad Pauls on the internet uh, over the last few weeks. So, Oh, they were there. I just haven't highlighted them. <laughs> so, day two, I get off the bus. I get in line. There's a guy with a like drug-sniffing dog walking up and down the line, and he's yelling, Keep your belts on! <laughs> I'm a social crusader, folks. I have already improved security for everyone else. Nice job. Way to go, Paul. We're proud of you. Yeah, yeah. be the change in the world. We all need Paul. We love that. <laughs> Remember, we will pick next episode's topic at the end of the show. It will be Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! It'll be me and Stephen King. Versus Brian and the X Men animated series, you're going down. I got. We'll Steve, see about that. I, I got the power of Stephen King on my side. <laughs> He'll like fire start you and then Cujo you and then like dump pig's blood on you or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Then you'll walk a green mile and you'll end up in a cemetery. <laughs> we will also visit our old friend the hopper of imagination later to get another topic for paul so paul tell us about the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which version oh wait movie sorry (laughs) the board game Get some new riders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a classic from 2005. It is my least favorite entry in the entire Hitchhiker's series. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate on it. It was lovable. It is lovable. It is great. I just, I have to preface it, and this is my own personal opinion, and I hope I'm not tainting it for anyone else, but I feel like the movie is enhancing an already rich universe, in that if you're familiar with the radio play, the books, the video game, the TV series, any one of those, really, 
then there is something in the movie that you will laugh that much harder at. Sure. The movie itself, when you watch it, it's good, but unless you understand all of the working parts, or at least are somewhat familiar with them, there's a lot of jokes that just go right over your head. That's fair. That's fair. It's kind of the opposite effect with Game of Thrones, because everyone else <laughs> seems to be very angry with how the show ended in its, in its final season. Uh, and I started with the final season, other than the first two episodes, um, and I actually enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> it's as if missing those six and a half middle seasons uh, actually did me some good. <laughs> Brian's actually going to watch them in reverse order. It's like the Benjamin Button of mayhem and destruction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just hodgepodge them together like some Quentin Tarantino plot line. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I'll watch uh, season six, episode two. <laughs> then after that, I'm going to watch season one, episode 10, and then uh, we'll just see how it goes from there. Yeah. Like a postmodernist extreme stream of thought. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> a stream of consciousness viewing of Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I definitely get that. Like, uh, kind of as Paul was talking about, you know, there's, if you don't know the storylines and the, the, you know, kind of rich backlog of stuff then you might not get some jokes like even uh one of the last lines of the movie is like decently funny but if you know the books you know that they're referencing the next book in the series so without knowing that it would just be like oh okay that's like a weird way to end it but it's like a subtle reference to the rest of the book series Alright, so starting back at the beginning, the Hitchhiker's movie features a star-studded cast. Uh, Sam Rockwell as uh, Zaphod Beetlebrox, uh, Mel Steph as Ford Prefect, Zoe Deschanel as Trisha Marie McMillan, or Trillian, as she prefers to be called, mm. Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent, the British everyman, uh, <laughs> Warwick Davis and, um, uh, what's his name? Snape. Alan Rickman. Alan, Alan Rickman, Rickman. Share the role of Marvin the Depressed Robot. Uh, Warwick Davis doing the body. Alan Rickman doing the voice. Stephen Fry is the narrator. That's John true. John Malkovich plays uh, Hamagavula. I was getting there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. So... Hamakavula was made up entirely for the movie. He doesn't exist in any other medium. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I like his character, though. Oh, I loved his character, but part of why it fits so well is because his character was written uh, by Douglas Adams. So the screenplay was written and rewritten many times by Douglas Adams, the original author of all content for Hitchhiker's Universe. Although I think his daughter finished the last book because I believe he passed away before the last book. Hmm. That sounds right. Um, But... uh, yeah, Douglas Adams was definitely hands-on in all reworking of it, and he created that character for the movie because in book form, the book kind of jumps around, and it works in the book because it's kind of all over the place with uh, intermissions isn't the right word. Interrupts? I don't know. What am I searching for? Uh, I don't know. I'll just go I had with... it for a second. <laughs> yeah, but... um. He was a character to kind of tie the plot line together in the movie of why they were searching for the ultimate computer. Yeah, they're almost like little infomercial type things. Um, yeah. Like maybe vignettes. Is, I don't know if that's quite the right word for it. But yeah, I mean, they're just they're a little asides, I guess. Right. Tangents. But yeah, he kind of... I mean, they were already looking for Magrathia, but he kind of enhanced the plot of to why they were going there. So... We start, as all Hitchhiker's iterations tend to do, one Thursday morning, when Arthur Dent discovers his house is to be immediately demolished to make way for a bypass. <laughs> as you My, do. <laughs> as, as you do. You uh, figure like so he would common. reach out to his cousin Harvey Dent and get that taken care of. Yeah, but... I well, get it. <laughs> at this point, I think uh, Harvey was you know not the taken care of sort of guy. He was the up and coming at this point. I, I see. <laughs> Fair enough. He didn't become two-faced until later. Oh. Didn't. 
(laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Make sure to tip your waitress. Try the veal. So one thing that I think the movie did a really good job in this scene that I never really thought of before is that when he's laying in front of the bulldozer trying to prevent the bypass, pleading to save his house from destruction, when they zoom out, you can see his house is pretty much in a field and they could go a million different directions with this (laughs) bypass and miss the house completely. But the plans, which have been on display at the local office for months, say it must go here. Yes. (laughs) In a darkly lit room. Arthur Dent is quick to point out that when he went to ask for the plans, he had to be led to the cellar and use a torch (laughs) in order to uh, see them in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet. As this is going on, introduce our uh, second protagonist, Ford Prefect. Ford Prefect is actually an alien from somewhere in the vicinity of Beetlejuice. And he is there to warn Arthur that planet Earth is about to be destroyed by a Vogon destructor fleet in order to make way for an intergalactic bypass. And I think that scene is really great, where they go to the little neighborhood pub. Arthur's lamenting that his house is going to be destroyed. And that's the least of their worries. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the news that he gets relayed to him through Ford Prefect is, uh, yeah, that the entire planet's going to be destroyed in a very short amount of time. I'm trying to remember what the the specific number is. Do you know offhand, Paul? Five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. (laughs) Yep. The, another great, great moment with that that I feel is kind of underrated in that particular scene is when when uh, Ford Prefect is trying to get Arthur to stop fussing over the fact that his house is going to be destroyed because the planet's about to get blown up. You know, he's trying to tell him, look, I'm an alien. And he goes, uh, remember the day I met you? He goes, yeah, I saved your life. He goes, yeah, you know, I was out in the middle of the street. I thought the cars were the dominant life force. I was trying to introduce myself. (laughs) And it cuts to like a a scene of him trying to shake hands with a car that's coming right at him. (laughs) Not a very, very like, like it's a country, windy country road. And that car's going very fast. (laughs) It is. And he's like, hi. (laughs) And that's how they explain that his name ends up being Ford Prefect. Because, again, he thought dominant life forces were cars, and so he saw the Ford Prefect, which was a model of a Ford car, and thought that was a name, and so went with that. <laughs> so I have a thing, for whatever reason, for right-wheel drive Ford cars. Um, I absolutely love cars that I can't get here for some reason. So the <laughs> Ford Prefect is an almost, like, beetle-looking car that was purely it was built in Ireland for the UK market but it was only sold in the UK, Malaysia and New Zealand. <laughs> That's interesting, which would also make sense why I guess I've never heard of it. Um, yep. but I think it's very interesting that they picked that specific model for for this UK-based uh series of of works, I guess, cuz it's not just the movie, you know, it's 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 maybe a, a maybe it had one. something to do with they thought Ford Prefect sounded like it could be the closest to a like actual name. Well, and being a prefect too. I mean, especially if you like look at Harry Potter, that's kind of like being like a like a leader amongst your peers and stuff like that, you know. So, yeah. it kind of makes you sound regal. Very yeah, true. it's kind of like perfect except you know not perfect oh i thought we were making a buick joke (laughs) (laughs) i was but it's fine (laughs) so continuing on uh that that's kind of how the movie and their whole universe likes to jump around it starts with a usually an introduction between two characters an immediate flashback describing a little bit of that character's background and then it immediately progresses forward at a thousand miles an hour to a tense situation Mm-hmm. And it's a very British style of humor, but for some reason, it tends to catch on to a more worldwide audience in this case. I think just because of how perfectly executed it is. I see, that's very much what it reminds me of, is it kind of almost feels like Monty Python in a way, mm-hmm. but like set in space. 
basically. Yes. It's, it's very it's very dry, but it's also very like witty humor. Like if you really kind of get into what they're doing and what they're saying, it's actually pretty funny. And very random at, at many times too. Oh like yeah, some oh, things for sure. are just like that I don't understand why you would just know that this particular alien race has the fourth worst poetry in the galaxy like why why is that a statistic that everyone just knows or, or the fact that what i forget which civilization it is they talk about but one of the civilizations was the only known civilization to develop the aerosol deodorant before it developed the wheel <laughs> 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 Gotta take care of that body odor. That's right. And just random little things like that. I think that that's very British as well, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just saying those types of completely off-the-wall things very matter-of-factly. And uh, and then just moving on as if nothing happened. <laughs> so like a lot of British totally humor kind of draws out the joke, and the laugh comes from, like, the uncomfortable nature of what's occurring uh, Ministry it's, of Silly Walks kind of comes to mind where it's literally just a guy walking awkwardly and it's very slow and it's a slow build to a, you know, a punchline at the end. It, Absolutely. It really, it really kind of almost is like Daniel Tosh's. Yes. Uh, but that that's kind of how his jokes always work is he starts out with like a pretty tame, mild joke and then he keeps building on it till it becomes more vulgar or more explicit. This doesn't necessarily do that, but it's that same style of starting off pretty pretty mild and then building off of that humor until it, like you said, gets kind of uncomfortable. Like you, yeah, it, you know that just where something goes on for so long that you all of a sudden start laughing and then you can't stop laughing and you get you know laughing more and more because it's like this is so absurd what's going on. I so think what the, the what Ricky Gervais office yeah. is another like yes. the uk version of the office and ricky gervais's style of how he delivers jokes it's the same kind of this is getting really uncomfortable there's no <laughs> other option other than to laugh because yep. you can stare like just stare mortified or you can laugh those are your options um and that's i don't know i think that that's really an interesting kind of involuntary response that uh that the Brits have a, a way of kind of capitalizing. Well, what on. I was going to say oh, yeah. is what makes Hitchhiker a little bit different is it speeds toward the punchline. Like it's a, it is a slow build, but it's still faster than traditional British humor. Sure. And I don't oh, yeah. so much know if it speeds toward it or if it's just like, I can't tell you how many times in this movie it's like, oh, well, moving on. And then it cuts to some sort of little interlude where they tell you about a pan-galactic gargle blaster, which is the best drink in the universe. And these are the planets in which it can be acquired on. And these are the, you know, what occurs if you drink it. Yeah, it's those little, uh, like, interjections where the Hitchhiker's Guide is telling you, because the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide is an audio reference guide. Uh, so it's like telling you these little random excerpts from it, you know, like the pan galactic gargle blaster or, yes. um, or the, the, uh, babble fish and stuff like that. Right. It's as if Eric Idle invented the Pokedex. Uh, yes, <laughs> that is perfect. That, that might be the best description of this movie I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I don't know when because we're already talking about it on the show, but someday I will use that. (laughs) But back to Arthur and Ford Prefect in the bar, because this is all introduction to the movie. This is in the first 12 minutes. Um, It is explained to Arthur that the world is going to end and um, Ford is going to help him because Arthur saved him on his first day on Earth. So he, they each drink five pints of bitter in what would have to be the longest five minutes ever. Yep. And yeah. then they lay down on the ground with a towel above their heads, and Ford holds his hand out with a ring on his finger, and then they are transported to a nearby passing ship in a hitchhiker fashion. You know, thumb up, ring on. Yep. Yep. And then right there... That oh-so-familiar music um, from right as they're about to introduce the title scene. There's I don't even know how to describe it. It's that um, 
familiar musical interlude that accompanies all Hitchhiker. It's called Journey of the Sorcerer, and it was actually written by the Eagles and used as the theme music for the radio oh. series, the TV show, and pretty much all media to this point has always used that as like the introduction. I never yeah. knew that it was the Eagles. That's amazing. I never realized, uh, I, I knew the song Journey of the Sorcerer was by the Eagles, but I never realized that that song appeared in the series. Like, it just never occurred to me that that hmm. was the the song. But it, yeah, it was off of One of These Nights by the Eagles, the album, One of These Nights. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's very, whenever I hear the song, I immediately think Hitchhiker's. So Mm -hmm. as the title sequence starts, that's when we are introduced um, to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the book itself. And the narrator, Stephen Fry, explains what the what the book is. It is a companion guide to the universe. It is the number. Is it number one best selling or the second best selling? uh, It's 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 number one. Number one. Yeah. It's yep. the number one because it is slightly cheaper than the Encyclopedia Galactica, and it has the words "Don't Panic" inscribed on the inside cover <laughs> in large, bright letters. And really, in that's large, all you need, letters. you know. <laughs> it makes you feel good inside. <laughs> but as Adam stated earlier, that is the introduction to the book, and the book itself is kind of. It's if Eric Idle wrote the Pokedex. There, see, I said I was going to use it. <laughs> <Yes>! <laughs> and it is the book itself, narrated by Stephen Fry, is explaining to them things around them. Um, from this point, I leave it up to you guys. If we do, we want to continue to recap the movie, or do we want to say go watch it, and we'll just talk about some of our favorite experiences from it. Um. I'm good either way, but we are right now at about 30 minutes or so, and so far we're at the intro still. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I I think maybe we should just jump around and talk about some of our favorite moments from the movie. Sure, absolutely. that sounds good. Sounds good. So, I will start by choosing Adam while I pick mine from my notes. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great moments, uh, in, in this whole thing. Uh, the Zaphod Beeble Brock's like all the scenes with him are hysterical. Um, I also am a huge Sam Rockwell fan, so I might be a little biased there, but, uh, he, he's absolutely hysterical, but I do have to say that there's a, there is a trope that is throughout this whole movie, which is that in the vehicle in which they fly, the which is the Heart of Gold, it has what's known as the infinite improbability drive. And basically, you hit this, and you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it could be that you turn into, uh, like, there's a scene where they hit it, and all of them turn into yarn. Uh, <laughs> That's there, such a cool scene. It's all, like... Yarn oh. anime, like claymation, but it's all yarn. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was really cool how they did it. Uh, so it could be that. It could be that it transports you to a different part of the universe. You just don't know what's going to happen. And there is a way to rein in the infinite improbability drive by having a like a coordinate cube that you put in, and then it'll take you to the location you want. But uh, it does that by basically going through, they kind of explain it as like going through a bunch of random doors and ending up at the right spot. Uh, but anyway, the, the one that I love is there's a part where they are approaching the surface of a planet, and it, uh, it, which is Magrathea, and it says that uh, they've entered into an area that's off limits. And if they don't turn back, you know, the defenses from the planet will kick in. Well, all of a sudden it shoots two missiles at them, and they're trying to get out of it, but the missiles are catching up and all this. And so uh, Arthur finally decides to hit the infinite improbability drive, not knowing what the result will be. Well, what happens is, you know, mind you, these these missiles are in space, or at least at the top of the atmosphere for this planet at this point. And it turns the missiles into a giant whale and a potted plant. And the ensuing (laughs) scene is absolutely hysterical. Most of it revolves around the 
the whale falling to the surface of the earth and in its very short-lived life trying to answer these important questions about life. So he's he's falling and he's like defining what wind is and what his tail is and what the earth is. And all of this conversation is going on as he's plummeting to the earth. And then all of a sudden he sees the ground and he's like, ooh, I'll call that the ground. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. And then it cuts to a, <laughs> it cuts to a, it cuts to like a really far back wide shot. And it just shows the uh, the whale hit behind a set of mountains. And then you see a mushroom cloud. And then uh, the, the other one was a planter of planted petunias. And the narrator for The Hitchhiker's Guide goes, Curiously, the last thing to go through the plotted plant's mind was, Not again. (laughs) 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 Like, again, that totally random British humor, but that line just always kills me, because it's like, you, you just get this thing in your mind of, What could this plant be possibly thinking not again about? (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, I'm glad you brought up Sam Rockwell's, uh, portrayal of Zaphrod, who is the uh, galactic president at this point in the story. And Sam Rockwell has said in interviews that he was influenced by three people for this character. Bill Clinton, Elvis Presley, and Vince Vaughn. I could see all three of those. I could see all of those, yeah. Yep. See, I thought George Bush. Um, To an extent, yeah, but I could see Clinton... He had a little bit more of that swagger that Clinton had. Fair. I but definitely see Vince Vaughn. From Vince Vaughn, too, though, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Or Sorry. Vince Neal, for that matter. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> so how about you, Brian? Well, I think that um, the scene that we kind of mimicked at the top of the show is definitely one of my favorites, where they're talking about, you know, looking for the answers, you know, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And they build this giant supercomputer. Um, They ask the supercomputer how long it'll take to come up with the answer to that. And she said, well, give me some time. And it's like millions of years. And so they come back millions of years later to get the answer. And spoiler alert, the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. (laughs) So it kind of worked out well. This ended up being our 42nd episode, I think. But uh, I think just hilarious. Um, And then everyone's just like, oh, really? That's the answer? Really? (laughs) The great follow-up to that is that, you know, they say, well, that can't be right. That doesn't make sense. And she goes, the supercomputer goes, well, no, you just aren't asking the right question. Like, the question isn't what's the answer to life, universe, everything. And uh, so they say, okay, well, where do we find it? And later you find out that a super com- uh, another computer was built to formulate the question. Well, the computer was Earth, and they blew that up at the beginning to make the uh, intergalactic fr- uh, highway or bypass. Right. And it was signed off on by, by Zaphod Beeblebrox. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just this big kind of cluster of... Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Well, you can find the answer, but it's at Earth. Sorry, we kind of blew that up. <laughs> the uh, the other scene I really liked, um, and maybe Paul can kind of walk us through the, the back setting of this, why they're in this particular setting. But in order to get the answers that they need, um, they have to wait in this very, very, very long line. And Arthur's like, oh, <laughs> you used to stand back. I'm British. I'm an expert at waiting in queues. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, one que- yeah. no one queues like the British. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. So in that particular scene, Trillian has been captured by the Vogons for kidnapping the president, which was a ploy. Uh, president Zaphrod kidnapped himself because he wanted the heart of gold so that he could go find Magrathea. Sure. Um, so most of the movie, they're being pursued by the Vogons and uh, the vice president, and it's just a bureaucratic nightmare. A couple of times, they almost have them captured, and then they stop and hold back because it's their, you know, union break or shift change or what have you. <laughs> sure, so, sure. 
Uh, Trillian is captured for kidnapping the president. She is taken into custody and then sentenced to death. Uh, they realize in order to get her back that the president can pardon her, but in order to do that, they have to go through this, uh, bureaucratic nightmare of, you know, think of like the DMV on roids. And it's really a mockery of like the British style of just the bureaucratic systems they kind of have in place. That's true, but I've always, I've always taken it to be kind of, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Um, it's not the Ministry of Healthcare, but what is their healthcare system but the way that they have to yeah i've always kind of taken it and maybe this is an incorrect takeaway from it but at least from the combination of the movies and books i've always taken it as just kind of the style of how their like social care in general works about how you know in order to get what you need oh you got to wait in this line you get to the front of the line oh well that's the wrong form if you want to do a presidential executive order you need this form and you got to (laughs) take it to that line to be endorsed by this minister and then bring it back here so we can convert it but as you stated, as they're going through this process, Arthur goes out of the way. Nobody cues like the British. I got this. And he is able to navigate through the bureaucratic nightmare in order to save Trillian before she is tossed into the death or into um, what was it called? Was it the Death Eater? It's uh, basically forget. a box with a monster in it. And they throw the person in it to be eaten. Oh jeez. <laughs> the uh the other scene going way back to the very beginning, well not the very beginning, but close to the beginning of the movie is when they first get brought onto this spaceship they're hitching a ride with. Um and they they read the poetry. What what what's the name of that alien race that they're like Vogans? The Vogans. Um and they have, you know, obviously the f- the fourth worst poetry known in the galaxy or something like that and he basically tell him that he didn't think it was too bad <laughs> <laughs> and it's presented as a form of medieval torture to yep. be they, you know they're basically like put in um put in stockades and forced to be read poetry to and it's really just a bureaucratic step before handling off their death sentence where they're going to throw them out of a uh, space lock <laughs> oh good stuff what about you paul yeah. what's uh what's kind of your favorites well we covered a few of my favorites already but probably my two favorites are the introduction of the babblefish. so when yep. they arrive on the vogon ship as hitchhikers in the beginning of the movie after just escaping earth being destroyed um the Vogons are speaking over the PA, and Arthur can't understand them, but Ford seems to be able to understand them perfectly. And uh, Ford takes out this little fish that looks almost like a snail with a, like a fish tail, and he shoves it into Arthur's ear, and he goes, what did you just do to me? And he says, read the book. And the book explains that the babblefish... Uh, reads in brainwaves. It feeds off of brainwaves and thus is able to translate the intended meaning of any known language. So basically, by possessing a babblefish, you can understand anyone, anywhere. Including animals, at least when it's convenient to the plot. If it's not convenient to the plot, then they don't understand the animal. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that. but. Yep. Um, but the babblefish, uh, that's actually, I don't know if you guys remember, but in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, there was an Mm -hmm. Alta Vista project called babblefish, which was the first website translator, which allowed you to translate web pages from under languages into your native language so that you could browse the web. And it kind of brought a lot of the, yeah, I literally did not make that connection until just now. <laughs> but that's where the that's where they took the name from. Yeah, I I I wow, that's awesome. It's kind of it's kind of a big deal to me because it kind of the World Wide Web it was in full form at this point and had you know we were into the dot com boom if not past it, but you were kind of limited to your country like you didn't have a whole lot of options if you wanted to you know read articles from Germany let's say unless you spoke the native language or you know had someone that could translate it for you and. It was not perfect, but it was enough to get the gist. And it was, for me, a kind of a huge moment in computers when it brought the World Wide Web together to truly be the World Wide Web, where people from 
everywhere could interact with one another. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to add to that. I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, my second favorite scene is when the book is recapping what just occurred uh, in roughly the same time frame when we're introduced to the book. Uh, the book explains why the Vogons are destroying the Earth to make way for the bypass. And it said that no creature on Earth was smart enough to know about it except for the dolphins, who had been trying to warn us for years, <laughs> but yeah. humans just took it as them trying to play and do tricks. And yep. then it go the movie this only exists in the movie it wasn't in any other form um well i shouldn't say that they say that the dolphins left us a message as they were escaping earth before it was destroyed and that message was so long and thanks for all the fish that's right which was a hilarious line in the book a great line in the tv series but the movie took it to a whole new level because this is still <laughs> technically all part of the title sequence as you know things are getting going so the first 15 minutes of the movie before you get to the title sequence and as the dolphins are just floating out of the ocean and taking off for outer space they burst into a musical number of so long and thanks for all the fish <laughs> so and great. it kind of perfectly sets up the absurdity that is about to transpire oh for sure for sure so we've already talked about Zaphrod in great detail. Do you guys have any uh, favorite characters outside of Ford and Arthur that you want well, to mention? Well, one we've kind of mentioned already, but we haven't actually talked about is Marvin the Depressed Android, who yes. is, I, I mean, he is a treasure in this story. Uh, I mean, just like it sounds like, it's an android that was developed to have feelings, and it didn't go so well, and so he, he has, he's like depressed all the time, and gets mad at other things for having, like, like uh, there's a door that has an unusually cheery demeanor that he always like gets really mad at, because he uh, <laughs> is always depressed, and, and this door is always trying to cheer him up and stuff, but uh, there's, there's a great scene at the end, one of the kind of deus ex machinas of this particular uh, story is that in uh, how Trillian uh, gets Zaphod to understand why she's mad at him, because he's kind of oblivious to this point, is they find a gun at the supercomputer that allows you to, like, when you shoot it, the person uh, understands, like, your emotions and your thoughts and stuff like that. And so near the end of the movie, Arthur and Zaphod and all them are on the new version of Earth, and a Vogon army comes to finally capture them. And the savior of the whole thing is Marvin, who uh, ends up getting that gun and shoots all of the Vogons. And so all, <laughs> and then all of them all of, all of a sudden are like, oh. I'm so depressed, and they just fall <laughs> over and start crying. <laughs> it's such a great way to uh, like take a character who you know is kind of associated with this negative emotion and allows him to kind of use that as a positive. He's kind of like if you mixed C three PO with Eeyore. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great way to. There's something that's just. Very, very adorable about him. My wife had never seen this movie or even heard of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And her and I watched this to prepare for, for this episode. And she's a huge Harry Potter fan. Anyone who's listened to some of our past episodes, she was a, a guest on one of those episodes to talk about Harry Potter. Uh, and... She was so very, very, very sad. Like the way the way that you're sad when you see a puppy just sitting out in the rain by itself while its owner's getting coffee. Yeah, um, it's like that's that's Snape, and he's he's so sad. And then, I, as I mentioned earlier, Marvin was portrayed by two people, Warwick Davis and Alan Rickman. And it's worth noting that both of them are Hogwarts professors for all of you Harry Potter nerds. Yes. There's That's actually a true. lot of people in this movie that were from Flitwick Harry Potter. And Snape. Oh, yes. Yep. Also, uh, like the 
Lord of the Rings World too. Yep, sure. Martin Freeman. Yep. yep, Martin Freeman. Yep. Yeah, it's a good one. Yep, and this is the second movie I think that I've seen that Zoe de Chanel is in the shower. Um, yes, Elf <laughs> being the other. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> she may be in a shower scene in uh in Almost Famous. I can't remember now, but um, but yeah, I, I so like, you're noticing a trend. Yes, yes. Well, she also plays the same character basically in every film. Sure, sure. But I definitely like that character. Um, oh, absolutely. And in this, is, I think it's great that she's like on this date with Arthur in the beginning of the movie. Wants him to go on a crazy trip with her, like to Madagascar or something like that, or Mozambique, or I can't remember where it is, but um. And he tells her no because it's like we just met. Like no, I'm not. I'm not. Gonna I have do work that. on Monday. Yeah, exactly. And all of this, he's like reflecting on as he's realizing that his house is going to be destroyed, and then shortly after, the whole planet will be destroyed. Um, so he's just ruminating on this, and then they end up bumping into each other in space. Uh, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. I guess so. I guess that dinner so. scene where the, he chooses not to go to Madagascar and suggests that they, you know, go somewhere closer for their first expedition. Uh, while they're discussing this, Zaphrod, and at this point, this is like in the future before either of them know of the existence of aliens or the world's impending doom. But Zaphrod walks up to them and completely ignores Arthur, looks at Trillian and says, hey, I'm a spaceman. You want to go to outer space? And she goes, yes, I do, and just stands up and walks away from me, and walks away from Arthur, which is kind of reminiscent of some of my early Tinder dates. Oh, no. <laughs> you being the spaceman, of course. Of course. Oh, gosh, there was another uh, scene I was trying to remember, but I'm blanking out now. I do love when they're at Earth 2 at the end, right after uh, Marvin destroys the, Vo or depresses the Vogons into submission. And um, as er as the Magrathians are handing Earth over to them, and so, you know, they're driving the planet back to where it should be and getting everything all set up. As the work crews are like painting the rocks and getting everything done, they're like, so before we uh, sign off on this order, is there anything you want to change? And they literally could do anything. Like, they could, you know, make more trees. They could have a giant building dedicated to them in the center of, you know, Mount Rushmore or whatever you want. And they're like, nope, I think that'll be fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think uh, it's important, too, to point out uh, that there's someone we haven't mentioned yet that was an important part of this. Uh, particular scene, and that's Bill Nighy, or Nighy, or however you say his name, uh, played uh, Slarda Bartfast, who was the designer of Earth and Earth 2.0. He is a wonderfully quirky character in this movie. He's this kind of weird, like, social outcast kind of dude. Like, he just always seems like he's really uncomfortable and not quite sure what's going on. He's a little aloof. Like, you but know. clearly the smartest person in the room. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd but compare him to a Unix programmer. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but like uh, uh, Martin Freeman will say something to him and he's like, what? What? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, no, that's not. It. He'll just go on to his answer. But it's like every he's like shocked every time someone says something to him. <laughs> Well, I don't really have a whole lot of other thoughts about the the plot of the movie or any of my particular scenes that I remember. Um, Paul, you kind of hinted at this at the beginning of the of the show about mm -hmm. um, our critical assessment of the film. Yes. Since you are probably the biggest fan of all of us of the Hitchhiker's Guide, what are kind of some of your uh, your 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 steady feedback on it well um overall i really do love this movie but i still feel it is the weakest um it's the it's the weak link in the hitchhikers series because the movie i think they were trying too hard to be 
everything to everyone, and they just kind of sped through the overall plot in order to make it a movie, whereas the the books were kind of all over the place, and there wasn't like a satisfactory beginning, middle, and end. It was just kind of like they were progressing through the galaxy, and these are some of the things that happened, and you know, it might go off on a tangent over here and a tangent there, but... Here a tangent, there a tangent, everywhere a tangent. Exactly. (laughs) But the movie, it felt like they were trying too hard to give it a satisfactory end, in which there really isn't in this particular story. Sure. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, one thing that I discovered doing the research for this that I really wonder what it would have been like is the movie was first optioned in 1982 following the the radio play by Ivan Reitman and Michael Gross. Hmm. Oh. Um, per contract, Douglas Adams wrote three drafts, and they were considering Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd to play Ford and Arthur. Really? Wow. That Before would be uh, they could secure financing for it and move forward, uh, Aykroyd presented his idea for Ghostbusters, and they did that movie instead. Hmm. Jeez. Man, it's crazy how if they would have just pitched it to him, you know, just a few weeks earlier or whatever how different things would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were already like into production. I mean, they'd gone through three drafts of the script and then they were getting ready to move forward. And it's just how very, uh, Ivan Reitman to just, you know, see another idea and just bank left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when uh, Since that movie didn't come to fruition when they were writing the screenplay for what would become this movie, Douglas Adams originally wanted Hugh Grant to play Arthur. But uh, <laughs> the, the producers uh, nixed that idea. And I agree. I don't think it would have been as good. I think Martin Freeman actually embodies the character. That's the thing is I've kind of talked down about this movie, but the cast is absolutely perfect for all of these characters. I don't think they could have done a better job with any of them. Marvin is perfect. Uh, Zaphod is perfect. Arthur Ford. They oh, all sure. embody the character. Like you can really, right. you could really tell that they were pouring their love for the source material into this movie. Mm-hmm. But Hugh Grant, um, he did a Doctor Who comic relief special with Rowan Atkinson in the uh-huh. 80s called Curse of the Fatal Death. Yep. And he kind of <laughs> played a similar character that, well, I mean, he played Doctor Who or one of the or one of the regenerations of Doctor Who in that special. Right. And. If you've never seen it, I could I could see why Douglas Adams, who was involved in The Curse of the Fatal Death, would kind of want Hugh Grant to play Arthur Dent. Because in the right setting, especially a British setting, Hugh Grant is much more capable of that style of humor than our American audiences are used to seeing him in. Yeah. yeah That's he's, probably true. Here, he's just kind of the rom-com guy from the 90s, but... yeah. Yeah, he actually he actually was pretty funny when he was given the chance to, you know, flex his comedic muscle a little bit. Yeah. I've never seen that. So in my mind, I was thinking of all the hues they could have picked, he would have probably been the fourth hue on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Who are some other notable hues? Well, I I probably would have picked Hugh Laurie first because he's he's a Brit as well. Um, Ooh, and he's actually done some good. really great British humor stuff, especially before he was house. Hugh Jackman, I think would have been hilarious. Um, <laughs> especially if they made it a musical number, that'd have been fun. <laughs> and then, uh, and then Hugh Hefner, of course, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed you could come up with that many hues. I was struggling. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, was... I couldn't even think of one, other <laughs> which is sad because especially like Hugh Jackman, Hugh Hefner are so famous. But, yeah, I was struggling. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned Hugh Laurie, though, because Hugh Laurie did a show with Stephen Fry that was kind of like an homage to Monty Python called Fry and Laurie. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now that you say that, yeah, that would have been, I rescind this. Martin Freeman, move over. Hugh Laurie, you're in. (laughs) This is a missed opportunity. Yeah. Oh, man. I think that was the show, uh, the the Fry and Laurie. They did a, a bit on there where he went into the police station or something like that, 
and had to like report a crime and they kept asking him for his name and it was like a name you couldn't possibly spell like it was like, <laughs> like something like that and he's like how do you spell it like like it sounds <laughs> just like it sounds <laughs> that's like uh the man with two brains the movie with steve martin where oh, uh, yeah. his character's name was Dr. Hafarara. And they're like, how do, you, how do you spell that? Just like it sounds. H-F-E-R-E-R. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, good stuff, guys. Indeed. Well, I think that's all I had. Well, I guess that wraps up our discussion on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now we're going to move on to some Nostalgia Compass! Nostalgia Compass! my questions i mean i have devised a (laughs) trivia question for my cohorts to answer whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week brian has x-men the animated series and adam has stephen king you guys ready yeah let's do it well i'm not give me a minute <laughs> Paul lost his pants at the metal detector <laughs> again. <laughs> so, as mentioned many times, this is the ninth iteration of Hitchhiker's Guide. It previously appeared as a radio series, two record albums, several novels, a television series, and a computer game. Are you guys familiar with the Infocom computer game? Yes. No. I've heard of it. I've never played it, though. All right. Are you guys familiar with uh, interactive fiction or text adventure games? Yes. Zork like being Zool? an example. Or Zork, yeah. Zool? Z- Are you the key master? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoltan. <laughs> All hail Zoltan. <laughs> so for the audience at home and... Interactive fiction game is a game that is all text and it reads almost as if you were playing Dungeons and Dragons by yourself. Uh, You are presented with a description of the area that you're in and then you would say, you know, go north. You would go to the north and it would say you're in a forest and, you know... It's dark and there's rushing water behind you. Yeah. And you have to navigate your way through a maze without actually being able to see. Um, One of the most popular games besides Zork and Adventure is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was written by Douglas Adams as a story and then programmed into a game by Steve Merzitsky. Um, the BBC actually has made the game freely available to play on their website. It's still up, um, and you can check it out. And they actually added a mobile interface so you can do it on your phone web browser. And then, oh, uh, that's amazing. You know, play from your phone. It is hilarious. I highly recommend it. It's really hard for me to talk about it without giving away, like, what you're supposed to do in the game. But if you're a fan of Hitchhikers at all, please check it out. And that leads me to my trivia question, which is, what year did the game debut? Adam? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to say... You want me to give you a hint first? Sure. All right. So while text adventure games were around in 1979 when the Hitchhiker's Guide originally came out, Hitchhiker's Guide, the game, did not debut until after the original album release in 1980. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say then that it came out in 1980... Six. Okay. I'm going to say 1982. 1984. Whoa, tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. Whoa. This hasn't happened before, guys. This is exciting. (laughs) So, they also came out with a towel. What year did the towel come out? (laughs) So they actually made a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy towel? 
Yes, it says don't panic and then has a description of the plot of the book. That's on the towel. Um, On the towel. Everyone's um, favorite gag gift from what year? I'm going to say 1983. Okay. I'm going to say 1981. 1984. It was a trick question. It came with the video game. Oh, oh. nice, nice. <laughs> Although, so that, could you imagine if it had been 1982 and we would have had another tiebreaker? <laughs> so if you had had another tiebreaker, I would have asked, what year did the BBC make the game available on their website? And the answer to that is 2005. Oh, gotcha, Not gotcha. that I was assuming that there would be a tiebreaker, that a tiebreaker would be required, but I was, I was pretty prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually pretty crazy that we had a tiebreaker. That yeah, that's happened. never happened before. Unreal. Well, there you have it, guys. I guess I will be guiding us through the land of X Men, the animated series, next time. Adam still has Stephen King in his pocket. (laughs) He's bribing him, you know. (laughs) Um, And now we need to visit the Hopper of Imagination to get a new topic for Paul. We want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at our website, www.datingourselvespodcast.com. I have three categories, and with each category, there is a topic that goes along with it. I will give you the categories, and you say which one you would like to pick, and I will tell you the topic that you are picking. Does that sound copacetic? It does, in this new exciting game I have never played before. (laughs) (laughs) I think Paul's probably played this game more than either Adam or I combined, if we're (laughs) being totally honest. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so Paul... Your categories are video game, music, group, or shared life experience. Ooh, this is hard. Because I am terrible at music groups because I don't listen to a lot of music. But I feel like we haven't done a music group in a while. Am I correct in that? It's been a minute, yeah, for sure. It's been a while. But we also haven't done a video game since uh, Unreal Tournament, correct? True. I think that's also correct. Unless Star Fox came after that. No, I think Unreal Tournament was the most recent. I'm going to go with video game because it's more my com- comfort zone unless anyone wants to challenge me. Ugh. No, you're, you're good on picking that. I was super hoping that you were going to pick Music Group, though, because it would have been absolutely hysterical to uh, force Brian to talk about this particular group. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, now that there's been lead-up to it, I changed my answer. No. Do you you want to stay with video game, or do you want to go with music group? You can't. Is it going going to make Brian... (laughs) I didn't didn't know what his final response was before. It it was video game, right? It was, but if it's a chance to make Brian uncomfortable and we're not talking about his favorite episode of The X-Files, then I choose Music Group. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you've chosen Music Group. Is that your final answer? It is. Oh, Brian, you're going to have so much fun next time. You guys really stacked the deck on this one. (laughs) And you stank up the whole station wagon, too. (laughs) Brian is going to have so much fun talking about this one. Because, Paul, your topic is the music group, Modest Mouse. (laughs) Who the hell is Modest Mouse? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I was hoping it was going to be a way message or band that Brian was in so that I could laugh at it. The, this is more of uh, this is the only group I know of that Brian has openly said he hates <laughs> with a big capital H. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I was not in on the joke because I might have swayed things differently. But modest mouse, it is. That's kind of fun to say. All <laughs> oh, right, guys. Well, make sure to join us next time here on Dating Ourselves, where I'll be chatting about X Men, the animated series 
Space. And check out future episodes where Paul will be talking about the worst band in all of history, Modest Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam will be talking about Stephen King. Uh, thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. And if you like what you heard, there's more to come. Check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwback action. Throwbackion. Throwbackion. All right. We post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash dating ourselves podcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at dating ourselves podcast. And we do the Twitter thing too at dated podcast. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for life alert, you've, you've just, just been dated. <laughs> Later, guys. So long. <laughs> Bye. Bye.